The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now on Fast, a big bank bonanza. Bullish talk from Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan fueling a financial frenzy. The rally sending all the major averages sharply higher to start the week. Is this a bear market bounce or the start to an early summer rally? Plus, President Biden pledges to defend Taiwan if it faces an attack from China. The White House then walked back the president's comments. How nervous should investors be about rising risks in U.S.-Chinese relationship? And later, after Walmart's whopper and the Target tumble, should investors brace for another retail route when Best Buy, Macy's, and the dollar stores report this week? I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we start off with the Jamie Dimon rally. Shares of J.P. Morgan notching their biggest gain since November 2020 as the company held its first investor day since the start of the pandemic. The bank saying it could hit ROE targets faster than expected. The stock, one of the top performers in the S&P, which rallied nearly 2% today. The Dow and Nasdaq strongly positive, too. So do these comments from Jamie Dimon suggest broader strength in the economy and markets? I guess, do we believe Jamie Dimon versus what some other prognosticators are saying. Karen? She believes everything. Yeah, of course. Jamie I believe yeah, Jamie Dimon. No, Come on. You. There was a lot I mean. to love about this investor day, and I'm not just talking about Jamie Dimon. I, he was very optimistic, which is great. I mean, he often has sort of a great handle on the economy at large. So I like to hear what he has to say. But the things that were really important today were the net interest margin. And so last quarter, there was so much concern about the net interest margin shrinking. This quarter, with rates higher, they said the net interest margin will go from 53 to 56 and exit the year to 66 runway. That was very, very good. The other thing that they really focused on was spend. That also hurt the stock the last quarter. But they really went through and tried to talk about why they spent, how, how productive that spend would be, how much it's worth their while. And uh, each division went through and talked about their spend. I thought that Mary Erdos did a particularly good job in uh, the wealth management. And then I think there was a lot of let's talk about J.P. Morgan as evolving into a fintech kind of company. For a long time, he's been extremely frustrated by the fintech valuations that have been sky high. They've only come back to, like, ridiculously high, not sky high anymore. And the bank valuations, which are still in the very low double-digit range. So there was a lot to like here. Huge run in the stock, which takes us only back to May 5th. <laughs> Which is sad. So I like J.P. Morgan. I'm long J.P. Morgan. It's actually not my biggest bank position, but I think it was good. A good read for all of them. They talked about buy now, pay later. So mm-hmm. some of these new uh, credit services. They also talked about fractional shares, which I thought would have hurt Robinhood, but didn't really, Tim. Um, but to the notion that 
they want to be more fintechy, that they're seeing actually, you know, strength of the consumer, that near-term consumer looks good, credit looks good. It's all coming up roses despite these storm clouds. Well, two, two soapboxes I have, first of all, on fintech companies. Is I think a lot of them are consumer finance companies, and a lot of them are also you know, either fintech companies that aren't any more uh, fintech than J.P. Morgan, who I, I think is the best bank in the world. So uh, when I hear that, I, I agree. And I think at times we've thought that some of these banks should get more of a fintech multiple. I love the fact that just the return on equity, um, he's reaffirmed 17 percent. That's really important for shareholders. And today I thought it was more important for the banks than I thought it was for the entire market. Um, I just think, you know, you hear that interest margin. Karen talked a lot about it. That annualized fourth quarter net interest income of 66 billion is up 50 percent from the 2021 number. So I think if you look at money center banks, Citibank is up uh, almost 20 percent actually over the last few days, including their move today. J.P. Morgan has actually lagged that move. The one thing about it, you know, credit, we, we don't see that credit dynamic yet for the consumer. But if you're watching high yield, you got the high yield spread over treasuries now up at around 490 over, which is a major, you know, it, relative to itself to where it was, that's up about 150 basis points even in the last three months and back to November 2020, which was a, you know, not an easy time. Not an easy time. You guys sound pretty optimistic about it. I think that heading into this event, which was well telegraphed, we were talking about it last week. On Friday, J.P. Morgan was making a new 52-week low, right? It was down 33% from its high last fall. Didn't even make a new high with the S&P 500 in January. We had that gap on their Q4 earnings announcement about spend. So when I hear you guys say you're excited about fintech. Somebody's ganging up on it. Well, when I hear you guys talk <laughs> about like, like the transition to fintech, that means higher spend to me. I just, it, it does. A. BNPL, don't love it because that is literally, you know, like, like a part of the credit that you just talked about, which will start to erode if we do have a weakening consumer. Um, and I just think it's interesting that Jamie, um, you know, again, I, I think for him to pile on where we were with the broad market where his stock was and all of the uncertainty about the market didn't seem like a great press on the short side is what I'm saying. But do you guys think he sounded so bullish? You know what I mean? His stock was down 33% from an all-time high versus an S&P that was down 20% at its lows last week. So it's massively out underperformed the broad market. So my point is he was going to have a hard time coming on and being downbeat. Well, he gave cyclical headlines for the overall market, and he talked about storm clouds. And, you know, he was Jamie Sunshine today. I mean, you know, I do think that dynamic is a case where his words of, of calm and balance uh, doesn't mean he's saying everything's OK. And I hear you on, look, there's a lot of consumer exposure. I don't want to see them take out a lot of bad consumer loans, but I'd rather see them spending on fintech and, and get that in the multiple than a lot of companies out there that already have it. He said it's a strong uh, economy right now. So this time, if there is a recession, it could be a little bit different from past recessions because of the strength of the consumer, the strength of the economy going in. Guy, but there are tremendous headwinds facing the economy. So pretty measured. I mean, I felt like almost like it was a Rorschach test in terms of what you wanted to read from Jamie Dimon's comments if you were more, uh, you know, sunny about things or you wanted to be more downbeat. There was enough for everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Not sure who Rorschach is, but I'm sure he gave a great test. Listen, Jamie does an amazing job of talking to the market. We've said that now for years. And Tim talks about the word tactical all the time. And we did a little segment last week, I believe, that we called So Bad It's Good. And banks were what we talked about. And within a day or so, I think we did a decent job. And, you know, J.P. Morgan got down below 1.7 times tangible book. I think you can still own the stock here tactically. I think it can get a little north of two times. That'll get you this 140-ish, 144 level, which is a 50% retracement of the move that Dan just outlined. So I think you got to be tactical here. 
I think the banks can continue to grind higher. I'm not going to say where the economy is going to be. I'm sure that they see wonderful things at J.P. Morgan, but those storm clouds are still out there. And we're going to talk about some of them in a few minutes. Just to address your point, Dan, this spend, this is what took the stock down. So for him to address the spend, I thought was actually good. And to describe how they're going to get productivity out of the spend. You know, each division went through and talked about where the productivity was. Now, in addition, they also have just when you are a bank like that, you just have a ton of spend anyway. But I thought that was more detail than we, we'd ever seen on the spend. So that was really important. If I had to pick one thing that was negative about the day, I would say that if they're going to do big acquisitions, they probably will not be able to increase their buybacks because of the capital. And deposits will be smaller across the board, across the board, every bank. Everywhere. Yeah, but, but as people take real quickly. So my takeaway from a lot of the earnings, and now we are on the backside of this earnings um, season here, is that you know everyone seemed to be really confident about consumer demand right now. Felt really confident about like that it's going to be here. And I just say when like the last couple times that we've had recessions, or at least the last three, it was the same exact situation here. You know, and we're halfway to a recession. And I understand we won't know that we have a recession until after the fact. But don't forget, guys. Remember the obsession after the 08 recession of the double dip recession, because once you get in a recession, once the market turns, once housing turns, once consumer balance sheets are not as good as they were at the height of of the cycle, right, then you have that negative wealth effect. So to me, I just, it doesn't make me feel more confident that CEOs whose stocks are down 33% on the year are saying something really optimistic about the consumer at a time where it seems it makes more sense to be more cautious about consumer spending right now. Well, that's fair. I I don't, how do you know we're halfway to a recession, though. Well, because I mean, last quarter we were down, well, and then and so, so this so quarter we're down. Going, I'm just going, saying, you know, you're going a technical definition on me. Well, um, but we're we're not going to have a def- we're not going to have a recession in the next six months. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I I'm not an economist, but I do think the dynamic here for the economy isn't great as we look into 23. I'm I'm not going to argue with that. Um, I, I guess you know I look at J.P. Morgan, which pays a 3.3 percent dividend yield, whose balance sheet's probably never been better. And you look at the quality of their earnings and the predictability over the next couple quarters. Um, I don't think we're supposed to be uh, pricing in loan loss provisions at this point. I think we're supposed to be looking at a company on multiple uh, and where they are in the cycle. And that's what I think today was about. Again, I don't think it's all clear for the markets, for the economy and for the world. Um, but I think for banks, that's really what the message was today. And I thought uh, I thought it was loud and clear. I guess the question is, when do you start pricing in for loan loss provisions? I mean, just last week, Wells Fargo CEO talked about the ability, the a deterioration in consumers ability to pay. Some could argue that the customer base for Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan are slightly different. So maybe Wells Fargo has a different. J.P. Morgan view. argued that. Yeah. Well, or, oh. you know, their customer bases are, are slightly different. J.P. Morgan tends to have slightly wealthier clientele versus Wells Fargo. So maybe what they're seeing is slightly different at this point in time. Um, but if the market is forward looking, at what point do you start saying, you know what? Six months, we may not, we may not see a recession. But in eight, things might turn soft. In nine months... And when do you start pricing that in? I mean, we're not that far, to Dan's point, off of a, off of a low for J.P. Morgan. So a 6% rally sounds great, but, but, but maybe we're still looking ahead to that. Well, I feel like the stock at this level is pricing in a lot of things. It's not pricing in great mm-hmm. loan growth. It's not, right? If you got good loan growth, you get an even bigger expansion in the margin. It's not pricing that in. So I, I feel like it's also pricing in potential additions to the provision for loan losses, not priced in. But you have other businesses doing very well, the wealth management business, for example. So I I think, I mean, if in your argument, 
Is there any price then at which one should buy J.P. Morgan? Right. If yeah. one is yeah. bearish. Right. And, and I true. just have a different price. Right. Yeah. And maybe, well, maybe the answer is no. And it was yeah, too well, high. But she because asked, I owned it before. She asked the questions around yeah. here. But I'll just say this. <laughs> I mean, what, 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 what seemed like really interesting to me is that we've seen a lot of stocks in the market that they've round tripped their pre-pandemic highs. Right. So the February 2020 highs. And there's a big gap in this J.P. Morgan chart from below that. Well below that. OK. So it's already come back to that is around 105. And I think a lot of stocks in a market like this, and, and again, I, I, you know, I have no idea if we're going to be in a recession. I have no idea how protracted a bear market is going to be. And we are no, make no mistake about it. We are in a bear market. And now it just depends how long it sticks around. And to me, I just think that you want to see stocks like this overshoot to the downside. Friday at the 52-week low was not an overshoot to the downside in J.P. Morgan. It was so not. So do you think they pulled forward a lot of pandemic no, business? I, is that what you're saying? Because no. if you're looking at I think that they've been releasing those reserves that they took during the pandemic for the last year. And I think at some point, if the consumer gets worse, they're going to start taking bigger reserves. We got some breaking news we want to get to on Snap. Julia Borson's got the story. Julia. Snap just filing AK. Time to CEO Evan Spiegel speaking at the J.P. Morgan conference in just a couple of minutes. The company warning, quote, the macro environment has deteriorated further and faster than we anticipated when we issued our quarterly guidance last month, saying as a result, while our revenue continues to grow year over year, it is growing more slowly than we expected at this time, saying we believe it is now likely that we will report revenue and adjusted EBITDA below the low end of the guidance range we provided for this quarter. You see Snap shares are down double digits. Um, and this is notable because, uh, Melissa, we that earnings report was just about a month ago. So it seems like the environment has gotten much worse just in the past four weeks. And we see Snap shares are now down 18%. Evan Spiegel will be speaking shortly and we will be back with more. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson, I think the key point that Julia made was just a month ago, Evan Spiegel was talking to investors with their earnings release. So what happened in one month and uh, how should we project this onto other companies? Guy, what's your take? Guy? No. OK, we don't have Guy. Sorry. Is he um, timeout? Well, can, can, I, can I jump in? Because no. I think this is what you would call in the business a good segue to the conversation that we were just happening. Okay, if you're a consumer products brand and you're stopping or you're slowing down your spend on Snap, it's because some of the trends that you see in your underlying yeah. business. I mean, this is happening, people. And we look, talked about spend. it last week. Okay, like I'm just saying, like, so what's going on right now? We're seeing revaluations in private tech. We're going to see a ton of blowups there. What do they do? They spend on AWS. They spend on Azure. They spend on Facebook ads. They send them Snap advertising, and they're going to be pulling back. And, I, and to me, I just think this is something that's going to play out over the next couple of months. I, I hear you, and, and, but I, and I think there's no question the guide is coming from looking at advertising and looking at ad revenue and the places where uh, you know, Snap has actually been a, a pleasant surprise on the growth side of it. But it's still one of those companies with a multiple that makes no sense. It's still a company that has free cash flow dynamics that make no sense for this market. So you know, this is very different than talking about a market and banks where I, I, think, I think you can own J.P. Moore. Here, I don't want to own Snap here. I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of stocks, and this is you know in the context of this show, um, I believe actually markets can go lower uh, and will go lower from here. But I don't think that they have to go lower today for the next three months. And I think it, you know that's to me about the last segment. I want to get back to J.P. Morgan. We're talking about Snap. The dynamic with Snap is, and with other companies that are depending on advertising dollars, is that is a demand dynamic. We haven't heard from any consumer companies right. about a fall off in demand. All we've heard about are supply chain dynamics, and this isn't good. 
Right. Um, Guy, we're also watching Facebook shares now. We just put up a screen of all the sort of related stocks that are also trading lower on the back of the Snap News. Um, is that warranted? Yes. The one that I'd be really interested, I'm sure Karen's going to agree here, is what happens to Google. I, I'm sure it's lower in the aftermarket. I think the stock was up 55 or so dollars today. It's probably down maybe by about that in the after hours. But to me, Google's the one to watch. You know, Google might be the one, as crazy as it sounds, that might be the flight to quality in the form of Google, given that they have their, you know, they have their hands in so many different businesses. They might sort of be insulated from this. So if Google sells off precipitously on the back of this, I think there's your opportunity. Um, let's get back to Julia Borson. She's got more for us from a memo that she's obtained. Julia. That's right. I've obtained a memo written by Evan Spiegel to SNAP's staff. It just went out moments ago as he's speaking right now at this J.P. Morgan conference. Spiegel's striking a little bit more of an optimistic note, um, talking about the opportunities for the company in the long term. He writes that, quote, we believe that the progress we've made growing our revenue combined with the strength of our balance sheet has positioned us well for the current environment. Um, saying that 2022 remains a significant investment year for SNAP, despite the ongoing volatility. He says that they will slow their pace of hiring. They do expect to hire more than 500 new team members between now and the end of the year. That's 10% headcount growth, and that's in addition to the 900 job offers that have already been accepted this year. So still hiring, but at a slower pace. He also said that they will be evaluating the remainder of 2022 budgets to find cost savings. Um, so really notable to, to hear that kind of caution, though certainly more optimistic tone that we than we got in that AK filing. But shares down 20%, Melissa. We'll be listening in to what he has to say in that Q&A session happening right now. All right, Julia, thank you. Keep us posted. Julia Borson, Karen. Yeah, I thought that's really interesting that he would he doesn't have to. He's not under a duty to make this disclosure. So it's interesting to me. What is that? I don't know if others will feel like they have to now that he's done this. It doesn't bode well. You know, as a big Google shareholder, not happy about it. I, I think it's more a little more closely to uh, Facebook than Google. Google has a little bit of different mix to the extent that the uh, Apple privacy issues, which Snap seemed to be getting a handle on, then maybe not as much. I think that would affect Facebook uh, more than it would affect Google. But clearly, directionally, not great for either. The notion that Snap is uh, re-examining budgets, so taking a hard look at budgets in light of what is going on, in light of the slowdown, in light of their stock decline, taking a look at hiring, slowing the pace of hiring. We've touched on this many times in terms of at what point do these massive declines in tech valuations or in valuations in general catch up with how the companies are spending and hiring and the job picture, Tim. And, and I feel like this is sort of just a little flash of, of what could happen. I mean, cumulatively, there are many companies like Snap out there looking hard at their budgets. Then, then you can imagine what the outcome will be. I, I think we all know that the labor market and unemployment numbers we're getting are lagging indicators and that we're in a very different place. If you look at continuing claims, they've actually been moving higher. So it's exactly right. Uh, I think all these help wanted signs that are out there are jobs that aren't going to be there in nine months. And I think that's, you know, that's a dynamic here that I think, you know, again, we have this, this situation where Main Street is doing better than Wall Street right now. We had years where it was the opposite. Um, I think it's a case where we're actually getting a little bit of a precursor to a change on Main Street, um, even though Main Street right now feels pretty darn good. All right. Uh, stock is down almost 24 percent right now. Let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster of Loop Ventures to get his take on this. Gene, just a month ago, they came out with earnings. I mean, this is pretty surprising. 
It is, Melissa. There are two things that are surprising me here. One is the magnitude of the, or just the fact that they're uh, coming in line or coming below the, the range. Uh, that's always a disappointment. Uh, but this is much more potent than the misses that we saw with Walmart or Target or Cisco. And the reason is, like you just said, is that it is the speed of this change, the, the deterioration over a month. And I think that uh, the traders today have appropriately framed in uh, this idea that we really are looking off of old data. It seems like the environment is being is quite dynamic right now. And I was trying to think back of when I remember environments this dynamic where a company reports and then guides down a month uh, after. And I would have to say it's probably the 2008 timeframe, even like the dot com. And I forget who has mentioned it too. Maybe it was Dan was talking about just all the different, the spending cycle, this, it's almost like a military spending complex. It's like the internet spending complex that's going on. And I, I vividly remember that around the dot-com uh, blow up is that, you know, these companies feed off of each other. And then when one slows, it really has a, a domino effect. I'm not an alarmist, I'm an optimist, but I think we should be at this point in code red going into the June earnings cycle, because I think we're going to hear more about what we just heard from Snap. So, Gene, without this phony bid from Elon Musk for Twitter, um, Twitter's uh, probably going to guide down very soon. It probably has a two handle on it, right? It's somewhere in the 20s. I mean, I, this, 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 this would be the most obvious one, right, as far as to extrapolate to? Exactly. That's uh, the number that I had was 25 uh, it's, uh, there's, there's a way to get there. I won't go through all of that math, but 25, I think if you put the risk reward here, 70% chance that Elon ends up buying this, uh, for call it a 10% premium. There's a 30% chance that it's down, uh, call it 25% ish. It's it just, the risk reward is, uh, in my view, 2% negative. Uh, but that's exactly right. Not only is there the advertising business that is likely slowing with Twitter relative to what we saw with snap. But there also is the damage internally. If you're an employee at Twitter, you're not working right now. You're following Twitter. And I think that that has going to have a consequence on the, the June quarter that's going to be much more outsized than what we're seeing from Snap tonight. Gene, which company in the space are you most concerned about based on what Snap said? Uh, I think uh, Twitter for the, the, those reasons. I think Facebook as well. We're investors in Facebook. It's not what I wanted to see. Um, uh, I think that, uh, but those two, uh, there's probably some element here where there's some defense around competitive. It doesn't sound like in Julie's comments that uh, Evan was is outlining any sort of competition uh, factor, but uh, that may play into this too. But doesn't miss the big picture is that basically, Melissa, all advertising-based uh, businesses, whether or not they do well or not, it, it doesn't even uh, change the uh, conversation. Because if they're at the same conference and they say everything is fine, investors are going to say, wait two months and we'll talk and we'll see that business will deteriorate. So I think all the advertising, <laughs> to answer your question, all the advertising companies are going to be under pressure here, probably until the September quarter. Hey, Gene, it's Tim. Put some numbers around this for us, because we all agree that companies aren't worth today what they were yesterday, especially in tech. Uh, and if you look at the street, they're somewhere between seven and 10 times, seven and 11 times on Snap on 23 revenues. As an analyst, give me some context of what you're doing with that sales multiple, that revenue multiple, even for a high growth company that's not really making money. What have you done with it? How should people think about this cycle? So we're not, uh, in case of Snap, we don't own Snap, but in case of Facebook, what we do is we have a, a growth rate and expectation on our growth rate. And I think that's the key. 
is this to factor in what are we doing? We're thinking about 2023 and thinking about what the growth rates are there. I'm more optimistic on 23. I think 22 is going to be a going to be a train wreck, but I think 23 is going to show some baseline. So to answer your question is we're starting to build in slight growth in 2023. And uh, I think that we haven't fully swung to the downside, by the way. And I agree. I think Dan also was mentioning something about the, the market needs to swing further to the downside. We haven't had that capitulation point. I think we may get it here in the next few weeks. Uh, but at that point, I think you can start uh, owning these stocks in anticipation of what I think is going to be a rebound in 2023. Gene, great to hear from you. Thank you for your last minute analysis on this. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Um, so, Guy, you know, it's it's how quickly the environment has changed. And this is not just something that we heard tonight from Snap, but also I mean, we heard it to, to a degree from Walmart, from a target, that things change so quickly that it was difficult to adapt to the new environment. And that's why a lot of things just got, I mean, lack of a better word, messed up in terms of their quarters. And now you're starting to see it over and over again. So it's not, I mean, I remember the last time I was on, I think I said Doug McMillan of Walmart is praying that Target has a similar quarter as they did. Then they're sort of in the foxhole together. That wound up happening. And now you're starting to see it from Snap. So it's across a lot of different industries, a lot of different companies. And one has to wonder, so I think Dan's earlier point, you know, what does this all mean for the broader economy? Again, I'm not an economist either. I can't say if we're in one or if we're going to be in one in terms of recession. I don't even think that necessarily matters in terms of what we do. But what I'll say in terms of the broader market, and we'll probably get into this with Tony if he comes to see us, the market is a seller rally market. It went from a buy the dip market for years to now you sell rallies. And we can talk about the levels a little bit later. All right. Snap shares down 24 and a half percent. We'll keep you posted on any developments there. Meantime, we are all over the after hours move in shares of Zoom. They are jumping after reporting results. The company's conference call is underway. We'll dig into the numbers next. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Even with today's rally, our next guest suggests sitting on the sidelines unless you are very nimble. Tony Dwyer is Canaccord Genuity's chief market strategist. Sitting on the sidelines, Tony, and you say until the Fed changes course or there's a policy change, what, is, what does that mean? Until they're done tightening, until they say 100 points is on the table? I mean, what, what does it mean? Mel, well, there's a huge difference between what a bottom is versus the bottom. A bottom can come from what we're seeing, a little bit an extreme oversold condition with high pessimism, the perception that the Fed may be discounted in the marketplace, and you still have some okay economic data. Um, that 
allows you for a rally after that initial whoosh that you get in a Fed-driven, fear-based, precipitous decline. So as you know, Mel, I, I think it's a lot like 1994, 2000, or even 2018, where you get the Fed comes out much more aggressive than anybody expects, and you just get this powerful thumping in the market, and liquidity kind of disappears, not just in the market, but just in the overall economy. You get a bounce back, that bounce back comes from, again, the oversold condition and the perception that maybe uh, it's gotten too extreme with the Fed expectations. And then you get what I'm going to call the fall fall, which is the economic reality of what happens when you withdraw so much money. So what does the bottom look like to you, Tony? It's got, Mel, it's got to be that the Fed says we're almost done, a kind of an Ellen Greenspan in 1994, where maybe we've got one more hike in front of us, which was early 95, when the economy almost went into recession. Oh, wait a minute. That's, that sounds like it's not going to be for a long time, Tony. <laughs> I know. I know. Mel, people are used to me being so bullish, but it's been a little while. And the reason is, listen to what Neil Kashkari said right after the Fed meeting. Based on mortgage rates going from 3% to five and a quarter, we have withdrawn accommodation faster than we gave it in 2020. Think about that statement. Now, my position here on a bottom is, do you sell it down 30? You know, as the team talked about and Karen appropriately talked about, with JP Morgan's down 33%, is that the time to sell it? So I think at this point, you want to really see that tone change in the Fed before you, quote unquote, have to do something. And if you remember, we ended the last show with my dad coming downstairs and saying to my brother and I, don't just sit there, do something. And our mantra this whole year has been, don't just do something, sit there. You don't have to get in on the next downtick thinking it's the low if it's just a low. Tony, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So you said until the Fed stops, what would make them stop, do you think? Is it an actual rate? Is it inflation coming in? Is the economy falling apart? What is it? I think it's inflation expectations, Karen. I I mean, it's kind of interesting. When when you look at the Conference Board CEO Confidence Survey that came out on the 18th, I don't think on a year-over-year basis it's ever been as bad as it was. It's, it's the worst since a real recession level. If you look at the University of Michigan Consumer Confidence Survey, it's horrific. So I think they're going to incorporate some of that into it. Listen, what Kashkari said I think is really important. When you give trillions of dollars and everybody starts to spend like it's always going to be there, and then you take it away, there's some disruption. And, the, and you only know how much in hindsight. So that's when we use our tactical indicators to figure out if, if near term it's enough. But ultimately, it's got to be inflation expectations. Once they start coming down, which, by the way, has happened to some degree, once they come down in earnest and the Fed believes that they've gone far enough on the inflation data, then you're going to be able to get that real turn. Tony, great to see you. Thank you. Tony Dwyer, Genuity. Um, yeah, there's been a rollover in inflation expectations. Maybe it's also because people are thinking that a recession is being priced into him. I mean, there's there's another way to look at that. It's good news, but it's bad news, too. I think in finished goods, we, we're, we're seeing maybe some plateauing. I, I don't think we've seen it in energy, and I think that's going to feed through, and I think that's deadly for the consumer, and I don't think we've seen it at all, really, in labor and services, which is very, very sticky. Uh, we're going to get Fed minutes this week. Uh, we're going to get some sense of really where the Fed is. So Wednesday is, I think, kind of a big day. Um, 
the way we've been digesting every bit of the Fed. We had the dollar that was over 1% weaker, is 3% weaker from its highs. I think it's telling you a couple things. One, first of all, maybe the ECB is finally getting some religion. Um, it might tell you that some people think that the Fed can't be as aggressive as they thought. It's all reason to buy gold. But um, inflation is, is not going away quickly. Yeah, and we've been talking about this as it relates to the market. So we've had the price come down, you know, that really important part of the P.E. thing. But we haven't had the E come down. Right. So we keep hearing data, let's say from FactSet, that the P.E. on the S&P 500 is below now the five and 10 year averages. The problem is, is that the consensus estimates for 2022 and we've been talking about this for months for 2022 earnings is still up 10 percent. So that's not happening. Okay, like so, you know, like the the, the pre-announcement tonight, the, the earnings data we got last week. So until strategists and economists kind of ratchet those numbers down or analysts following these sectors or individual names, then we're still going to have the expectation of that. And that's really, I think, when you try to put in a bottom, when we start seeing strategists go to low single digits earnings growth and you throw, you know, let's say it, the 10 year average of 17 on that, you bottom out somewhere in the, I don't know, mid to low 3000s in the S&P 500. So to me, I think you continue to sell rallies. I have no idea how vicious the rally is going to be. They have not been over the last month and a half or so, not like we had in January, February, and March, but we do need to see strategists and analysts capitulate on their earnings estimates. All right, let's uh, get to Airbnb news here. It is shutting down its business in China after six years, sources telling CNBC. Deidre Bosa broke the story today. She's got all the details. Debo. Hey, Mel. Well, I'm told that that China business was already costly and complex to operate, so the pandemic worsened those issues, heightened that impact. All listings will be taken off the platform this summer. That's homes and experiences, though I'm told that Airbnb will maintain an office in Beijing with hundreds of employees. Now, tough competition from Chinese companies, likely a factor here as well. Local rivals operate within super apps, so their cost of acquisition is much lower. My sources say that Airbnb will now refocus its efforts in China onto the outbound travel opportunities. That's Chinese traveling abroad and China stains in mainland China have accounted for about 1% of revenue over the last years. Not a huge amount, but I'm told that overlap between Airbnb's outbound and domestic businesses was not strong. Now, this comes despite a strong play to succeed in China. You might remember Airbnb went into the country in 2016 with in-country branding, even had a Chinese name. They even put Airbnb co-founder Nate Blacharzek at the head of those efforts. But guys, like many American tech companies before it, Google, Facebook, Twitter, Uber, just to name a few, Airbnb is now retreating. Back over to you, Mel. Was it ever expected to be a growth engine, Deirdre, or was that never the case? It's hard to say. I mean, they've been through a lot in China. There's social and political pressure to sort of exit. And I remember asking Brian Chesky at the IPO, what would it take to actually get you to leave? And it was interesting. I was looking back on those comments. He kind of said that there was a moral responsibility, but there was a business responsibility as well. I'm told that this comes down to cost to spend that much money in a place like China for just 1% of global revenue. It's tough, but it's always that promise, right? The number of millennials that are using home sharing in China is what bigger than the population of America. So there is always that drive and that desire for that kind of growth. But domestic companies just have an edge up. It's not a level playing field as Airbnb found out the hard way. That's a staggering Tam. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. So there's this element of it, that's the complexity is operating in China. Then there's also the geopolitical um, aspect of operating in China. And today, um, we heard President Biden make a gaffe 
uh, saying that he would defend Taiwan if China invaded Taiwan. The White House then backed away from that statement, Tim. But how do you interpret that? I mean, that sort of certainly complicates things potentially. Yeah. Um, it doesn't it doesn't rub China well, that's for sure. No, I, you know, I, I didn't like that. But I, I think you got a case here where if you look at what companies are announcing over the last few weeks, I mean, you know, think of all the companies that have cut their Russia business. Think of the companies. I mean, these, these are not insignificant moments. Obviously, China, um, we've talked about this. Dan brings this up a lot. So the biggest tech companies in the world, which are our companies, um, don't really have a lot of exposure other than Apple. It's not like they're really allowed to play in China. But um, this isn't good news. I mean, and we'll talk, you know, I think a little bit later in the show about China as it relates to, to deer and whatnot. Uh, you know, China's doing everything they can to stimulate their economy. Gold downgraded China to 4% GDP growth, which is akin to a crash relative to what we've been used to having out of China growth. And so the rest of the world is already suffering from China weakness. But this this kind of stuff's going to continue. Yeah, Karen. I was just thinking, remember Brick? Remember we used to talk about Brick all the, the time? Bricks. Yeah, the Bricks. Yeah. The Bricks. And I'm wondering so if we're sort of dismantling the Bricks, right? Russia, I mean, some, some parts of India, or, right. right? And China and that was a huge, huge driver of multinationals. So, uh, you know, what to, this is interesting to me, not in a good way, right? We're, it makes me we're building a wall. Right. It's like Pink Floyd. Yeah, I mean, I mean so we talk about for Starbucks and Nick, Nike and those who have big uh, exposure, not a good thing. Tesla. Well, Tesla and Apple. I mean, that's the yeah. epicenter of this. If there's any provocation with Taiwan, I think the precedent that's been set with Russia is really going to be a difficult one for Apple, which obviously manufactures a great deal of their products there, but they also are looking at that to be a huge growth market. And then the other thing is nationalism, right? So China actually has copied Airbnb. Like, they copycatted all of our best things, right? And they have them domestically. So the point is, Apple's number five in market share as it relates to smartphones. So sooner or later... Yeah, I think it is. I think Xiaomi, I think there's a bunch of the locals, um, Huawei, I mean, that, that are doing much better. So, I, I mean, we could check that. I, I think it's somewhere. It's not in the top three. Yeah. So I guess if you're going to get nationalistic um, based on some of the military, uh, you know, kind of um, uh, ambitions that we might have to defend Taiwan, those guys are toast. And the other thing is, I'll just say this about Tesla. Tesla opened down this morning because there was a report that their Shanghai um, factory wasn't going to be open when they said it's going to be. I mean, think about how easy it is for the Chinese to regulate, you know, their business out of the way. And that is a huge and pillar of the This is all inflationary, by the way. Everything you're saying is oh, inflationary. This yeah. is all about nearshoring and onshoring, uh-huh. and we're no longer going to be reliant. And we yeah. know we're doing this in semiconductors. Right. We're going to do this in every sector. Um, so globalization is dead. And, and certainly this conversation on China isn't getting easier. Um, it's getting more difficult. Yeah, Guy, your take. Gaff, no gaff. This is, again, just my opinion. This is something we talked about in the fall concerns about, obviously, Russia-Ukraine came to fruition. And this, I happen to think now, again, gaff, no gaff, this opens the door for China to pretty much sort of test the waters a little bit here. Now, I think everybody said the correct thing. Throw Apple in there, throw McDonald's in there as well, and think about what it potentially could mean for our market. So I don't think, you know, I was surprised how well the market behaved today despite Mm -hmm. these comments. I think you're going to start hearing more and more from this, unfortunately, over the next couple weeks. It was not even a shrug in the markets today. Um, good point there. Coming up, we're watching Zoom after hours. That stock well off its after hours highs after reporting results. We'll bring you all the details next when Fast Money returns. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. 
a second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get another look at shares of Snap after the company warned about its Q2 results. CEO Evan Spiegel also saying in a memo to employees that the companies would slow the pace of hiring and re-examine its budget. The stock falling back below its IPO price for the first time in two years. That price is 17 bucks. In 2017, it's now 1605. Shares of other social media and internet stocks also plunging in the after hours. Um, he did specifically say it was the rate of change, how quickly things deteriorated, um, that really caught Snap flat-footed. The stock is down 28% right now. Meantime, we do have an earnings alert for you on Zoom video. Earnings beat the street. Revenues came in in line. The conference call is underway. Frank Holland joins us now with the details. Frank. Well, yeah, there, Melissa. Strong guidance. Really the story here. Q2 EPS outlook well above estimates. Full-year EPS, EPS outlook well above estimates. The top end almost a quarter more than what the street was expecting. This despite some very recent fears of deceleration for Zoom. Barclays actually cut its price target for Zoom from 150 to 90 just on Friday. So now to some of the numbers, net dollar-based expansion, that increased 123%. That's growth in revenue from existing customers. That number's been above 129% in every other quarter that Zoom has been a publicly traded company. Current RPO, or remaining performance obligation, up 25%. That's build and unbuilt revenue the company expects to get within the next 12 months. Enterprise customers also increased by 24%. If you're looking for a potentially iffy area, it could be the flat growth in Europe. Piper analyst James Fish saying the mantra of, if you haven't used Zoom already, you probably won't. It's gaining legs, and it's really becoming an overhang for Zoom. But America's and APAC both up double digits. Tomorrow on Squawk Box, Zoom CFO Kelly Steckelberg will join the team for a first on CNBC interview Going over this quarter, the future future of video conferencing, and much more. Melissa, back over to you. All right. Frank, thank you. Frank Holland, obviously a pandemic darling. Uh, We've had a recent surge as well, and you got to wonder if they're benefiting from that concern, Guy. Listen, it's interesting. Customers up 24% year over year. Margins better. Guided higher for the year. Uh, All very good things. And the stock has obviously been more than cut in half from its all-time high. I would have thought, again incorrectly, this stock could be up anywhere from 18 to 20% on the back of this quarter. And it's not. That's pretty concerning because, quite frankly, valuation is almost reasonable at these levels. So if Zoom can't rally on this quarter, and this might go back to what we talked about with Tesla a couple weeks ago. If they can't rally in this quarter, it's really bad in terms of where the stock could go. I still hold out hope that it could rally from here, but watch it really closely tomorrow, Melms. We should note that in the after-hour session, Zoom was actually much sharp, much more, much higher, higher <laughs> than it is right now. And then the snap news hit, and that sort of knocked it down, I guess, in the category of higher valuation names. There's a question mark over a lot of them, uh, Dan. 
It's just tough. I mean, the headline stuff didn't look that interesting to me. Guy just did mention that 24% customer growth. It's just never going to get back to. I mean, that's probably, like, to Guy's point, as good as it gets off of such a deceleration over the last few quarters or so. So, um, you know, I, I think this stock probably would have sold off anyway if the snap news didn't come out. I don't think there's new buyers for this stock. Guy, Guy's point about valuation, I, I think it makes sense. This company, when it went public a couple years ago, it was already profitable. You know, on a gap basis, it's profitable, but it's just not that profitable. And so, to, you know, in some metrics, it's still um, kind of expensive. So to me, I don't know. It's probably a no touch. I mean, I could see the stock down tomorrow morning on the opening. I just don't think anybody knows what to pay for it. And, and I know that sounds kind of obvious, but most analysts put a DCF on it. And for folks at home who don't even understand what that means, uh, and it's, it's complicated. And so my point is that there's a lot of moving targets. There's a lot of assumptions in there. You come up with almost any number you want. And, I, you know, and, and yeah, the street has them making five and a half bucks a share this year, which makes the multiple on this year. You, you know, you can do that math. I mean, it's under 20. If you believe that, but um, we all think a lot's going to change. And this, a lot of bad news has been priced in here, though. Coming up, a lot of retail names set to report this week. So, which names are worth a try on? The names to throw in your cart ahead. But first, open house options. Home builders hit as mortgage rates continue to rise, but option traders could be betting on one of these names appreciating after earnings tomorrow. The details straight ahead. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the major home builders unable to rally with the rest of the markets as uh, mortgage rates rise and new home construction slows. One of these names is on deck to report earnings after the bell tomorrow, and the options market is expecting a major move when the results cross. Mike Coe has the action. Mike. Yeah, so we were taking a look at Toll Brothers. Toll Brothers traded about two and a half times the average daily call volume. And right now, the options market is implying a move of about seven and a half percent after they report earnings. That's considerably higher than the four percent that the company has averaged over the last eight quarters. The most active contracts were the July 50 calls. We saw about 535 of those trading for two and a quarter apiece. So it does seem that there are some options traders who are betting that the stock could recover at least to those levels that we last saw in March. Still, 2,800 calls, which is all that the name traded today, is relatively small relative to the 1.7 million shares of the stock that traded. So there might be some that are hopeful, but still that would leave the stock well below where it started the year. Mike, thanks for that. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, a lot of retail names on deck to report. So which name should you check out? We'll dive into the names next when Fast Money returns. We're gearing up for another big week of retail earnings. Check out some of the key reports still ahead. Best Buy, Macy's, Dollar General, Costco, many more on deck. But the XRT retail ETF sinking 16 percent in the last month alone. So which ones do we watch? And, uh, you know, in light of what Snap said about the rapid deterioration uh, just in the past month, Karen, it really puts another light on these earnings. Yes, it does. I mean, and already, already on a just terrible quarter so far. I mean, to me, the one that's interesting is Ulta, which I do own. We saw some good Sephora numbers and some good, I think, Target did talk about Ulta being good, despite the rest of Target being difficult. So this is one that I'm hopeful it's come in a lot. It's not super cheap, but it's sort of at a market multiple. So that's one that I'm holding on to. I think it's uh, the 26th. 
So the things I heard in Walmart and Target that got me most concerned, um, the company I thought of right away was Best Buy, actually. Not, you know, other discretionary, uh, but places where, you know, general merchandise. Uh, and I think uh, the pull forward for Best Buy is really tough. The, the, it's never been an issue of valuation. I think about Macy's and I, I think about, like, they're, they're going to grow 15 percent. Uh, I think their gross margins are going to be just south of 40 percent. This is a company who does not have balance sheet issues anymore. This is a company that I do think actually has a lot more risk reward to the upside. Uh, and I think at four and a half times based upon the streets, it's somewhere, I don't know, 450 a share. Uh, you know, this to me is not a valuation question. It's not a balance sheet question anymore. Uh, and I'm sure there's all kinds of headwinds. Uh, but the consumer they have right now is fine. Well, Macy's, for instance, Guy, they're selling stuff and Best Buy, for that matter. They're sell- selling stuff that was hard to sell at a place like a Target and a Walmart. Which, <laughs> I mean, doesn't augur- consumer, I don't think though. that augurs particularly yeah, well. I mean, Granted. And then I look at a dollar gen, which is, I mean, a couple months ago, I'd say down 26% in a month is a lot. Now you see stocks move 26% in an hour and a half. So maybe that's not enough. But, you know, dollar gen into Thursday's earnings down 26% from the all-time high, trading at 15 times next year's numbers. You have to say, is that enough? But given what we've seen, I think now wait and see is the best, um, the best, the best course, course of action, I think, in these names. All right. Up next, final trades. One more check on Snap after the company warned about its Q2 results. The stock is uh, down 30.5%. That's a wipeout of $11 billion in market cap. By the way, Meta Platforms is down more than 9% in the after-hours session. And it's also uh, taking a a hit on Apple, down 1.5%. And the Qs are also under pressure after this news in the after-hours session. Time for the final trade. Around the horn we go. Guy. Given everything you just said, gold should catch a bid. Barrick Gold, G-O-L-D. Tim. Energy. And, and if you think about what's going on in resources, this is to, time to buy on pullback, excuse me, and energy transfer partners, 9% dividend yield. Nice place to be. Karen. Yeah, with this snap news, Pinterest is really not the place you want to be. Short Pinterest. Short Pinterest. Interesting. Dan. Yeah, I just say that Elon Musk on Friday tweeted there will be blood. There's blood on his hands as it relates to Twitter. This thing's going lower, and they're next in line here, so I'd be a seller of that. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, stay tuned for a CNBC special. Inflation in your stocks starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.